welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. I am excited to have this guest on today. Uh, We've been playing tag back and forth, trying to figure out a time to work. Uh, But I was joking with her this morning that I think this is probably going to be our most listened to podcast just because she is uh, extremely quick-witted. She's sarcastic. She's a good friend and a colleague of mine, but I'm not going to introduce her. She's going to introduce herself. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I don't know how sarcastic I am, Dr. Dostal, but my name is Sarah Shaw. I'm in my 20th-ish year in education. I'm Dean of Students and District Career Coordinator here at Westside. That's awesome. Yeah. You and I actually have a past history too. Yes, we do. We taught together a long time ago. Long time ago. Back when you were in the business classroom and I was parlaying between English and physical education. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Too long. I don't think we, we knew each other very well during that time. I don't think we did either. I remember seeing you and, and being really fascinated by the fact that you taught English and <laughs> PE. <laughs> Seems like, a, you know, business and history seem to kind of go together, but PE and English? I was. I liked it. I was a mullet. Yeah. Yeah, with hair. <laughs> with hair at the time. <laughs> business up front, party in the back. That's right. So, okay. This is just a conversation. Okay. Because I know you get kind of nervous. I am kind of nervous. And you don't like hearing your voice. You just told me that ahead of time, but you have a wonderful voice. So uh, I think that uh, the reason why I wanted you on this podcast is I think you've got an interesting story and background that a lot of people can relate to or at least find uh, find themselves in your story. And so let's start from like the very beginning. Why did you want to become an educator in the first place? You know, that, that's a great question and I've thought about it a lot. I always remember wanting to be around kids. I taught swim lessons. I always worked at a pool, kind of grew up um, around kids and, and finding joy bossing them around. Truly, you know, when I was younger, it was fun. I coached softball when I was in high school for younger kids. So Did you have brothers and sisters too? I'm the youngest, so You're I had to find so you, some people. So you people. got bossed around. For sure. Okay, so you so, needed an outlet. Yeah, okay. I feel like I needed an outlet for that. And I, I remember sitting in an English class with Miss Vote. Hopefully she won't listen to this because I don't want to offend her because she was one of my favorite teachers. But you know, I remember saying, I think I want to be a high school teacher, Miss Vote. And she looked directly at me and said, Sarah, you're too, you're too smart to be a teacher. And I'll, I mean, I'll never forget that. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. The smartest people I know are teachers. That doesn't make sense. So I went to school for business, naturally. So I went to the University of Northern Iowa, got a marketing degree. Um, about in my junior year of college, I started dating who's now my husband. And we went to his house over the lake um, over, I believe that it was Labor Day weekend. 
and everyone was getting excited to go back to school and there was a bunch of teachers there his mom was a teacher his dad's a former teacher and they were so excited to get back to school and get back to their kids and I remember dreading going to my job I'm like I'm 22 years old 21 what was years your job old at the time I worked in transportation logistics I mean I made really good money for being 22 years old but I hated it right because it wasn't at all what I wanted to do um, and I, I had a moment and I just thought huh maybe I could do this too and so I was engaged at the time but we weren't married yet and no kidding Jay I went on my lunch break wrote my letter of resignation didn't tell Mark resigned from my job called UNO to see if I could start classes to become a teacher went home that day at five and was like honey I have something to tell you <laughs> how do you handle that <laughs> well we're still married oh, 22 that's good. years later but I can just imagine the look on Mark's face like I'm sorry you did what oh yeah he I don't think he was super happy about it <laughs> but yeah he was he was really supportive and he knew that I hated what I was doing um, and so yeah I went to school for two more years got my my business business teaching degree um, and then history because at that time that you couldn't just be a business teacher right which then actually served me really well because a lot of at Millard West hired me when I taught both and then when I moved to Westside they actually had me teach both so it actually served me quite well to get that's, in the door. That's interesting because that's the reason why Miller West hired me was because I had English and PE and they didn't have full-time positions yeah. for both, but because they were on a four by four block schedule, they could utilize me in both. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. See, we have more in common than we thought. We do, yeah. we do. Yeah. So how did you know then that you made the right decision? Like when, when was that moment that you felt like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the right place now? I did a practicum at Northwest High School with Jerry Glassman, who was the DEC advisor. And I, you know, I was in my first semester of education classes and I was sitting in a marketing class and they were teaching something and this kid popped off with the funniest comment about a squirrel in the book. And I remember being the adult in the back of the room and just busted out laughing. And at that moment, I'm like, yep, I found my people. <laughs> I mean, I'm perpetually a 17-year-old boy at heart. Everything they think is funny, I think is funny. And really, I was like, okay, I love this. I can, the energy that, it, they're just funny, you know? You just, I laughed every time I would go into a classroom, so. So I'm gonna bird walk off of this one, and I told you I was gonna do this ahead of time, but uh, <laughs> you said you're perpetually a 17-year-old boy. <laughs> and just in our conversations about decisions that kids make, that sort of thing, why do you feel that you are best suited for your current role as a dean of students? Like, do you ever just wake up every morning and just like, I cannot wait to see what walks through my door today? Yes, because you can't make it up. I mean, you try to tell your friends what you do on a daily basis and they they don't believe the stories that we that we tell them because I mean you know this kids are just hilarious and they do really stupid things and we're stuck in that year after year after year <laughs> you know we we would think that they would grow up but they don't because we have the same age of kids every year so we have the same behaviors I, I, I think I'm best suited because I think that they're funny 
Um, and also understand that it's just really part of the maturing process is for them to be able to make poor choices when it's safe, I guess, for them to do that, so to speak, and hopefully learn from it and then grow as humans. I mean, that, that's what's fun as a dean is, is being able to have the same kids from ninth grade through 12th grade that make bonehead decisions as ninth graders and then you just have to give them a look the next year or just a nudge or, you know, in the hallway. Though That's what I think in this job brings me joy. And they is, know that you care about them yeah, too. absolutely. Because you invest a lot of time in them. Yeah. How, how has that helped you with your own kids and parenting high school kids? I mean... Number one, I'm exhausted. I don't know how many times I've told parents like, yeah, I get it. I deal with these kids all day and then I go home to two of my own. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm exhausted. I also have used this so many times in my life of if yelling worked, my two biological children would be so well behaved, <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't work. I try it every day at my house. The dishwasher is still not unloaded. Gavin still doesn't shut the lights off and so I think maybe in, in reverse of what you asked me, it it has made me a better dean because I've realized that for me and my style, the authoritarian style does not work for, right. for me personally with my personality. And so while there does come a time where you need to raise your voice, it does it does not work in changing behavior. And so I've kind of used that in both of my roles as parent and as dean. I've caught myself wanting to just chew my kids out at home. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I know this doesn't work. I'm doing this because it makes me feel better to yell at my children, but I know it's not gonna change their behavior. That's, that's so interesting, because I remember my, uh, my first role as an assistant principal, and I was, I mean, I was being an administrator like I was coaching kids who wanted to be there, and of course they didn't want to be there. And so, you know, I was that, big imposing yelling guy and you know it dawned on me probably after about first six months like that's all this kid hears at home so what I'm doing is just going to be noise to them and like have you ever thought about this because I've had this experience because my kid goes to school here have you ever thought how that experience would be if your kids were actually in the same school as you and how that interaction might be yeah, I think about it a lot. And my children will bring it up because they'll come to stuff at Westside with me and they'll either say, I can't believe they like you, Mrs. <laughs> I can't believe they like you as Mrs. Shao Mom. You know, I, I'm like, well, that's rude. Um, and or, or other other days, my kids are like, we really wish you were our administrator, Mom. So we, we get I get both from them. It depends on the interaction. And what's funny now, Gavin's buddies will text me <laughs> like, am I going to get suspended for this, Sarah? <laughs> what would your school do? So it's kind of fun to be in that role, but still be my kid's mom. And I still get to be Sarah in one aspect of my life. And then Mrs. Shao, because they're very different personalities sometimes. Oh, I think they're very different personalities. In fact, you and I were joking about actually having uh, this podcast in a bar because I think we would have two very different personalities sure. come out on this. Lots how of do, beeps. <laughs> how do you how do you turn it on and turn it off then? Like, because you, I mean, you are 
you're an activator, you like to get things going, mm -hmm. you're a visionary, you like to think out of the box, you know how to delegate. Do you ever turn it off? No. I, I, I like how's it. That, how does that work with you and Mark? I know. Well, sometimes it doesn't. Well, I, I ask <laughs> yeah. because that's the same with Melanie and me that, you know, I'm always boom, 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 boom. And she, like, she told me at one point that when we first met, we were both type A personalities and she realized that if our marriage was going to work, she was going to be the, the one that had to change into kind of the type B because you can't have the two type A's. So right. how does that work for you? I definitely with age, I've gotten better and realized that my behaviors can really sway our family dynamic. <laughs> I'm bossy. I mean, I know I'm bossy and Mark calls me a control freak, which I absolutely am about certain things. Um, you know, that's, I mean, that's a great question of what I turn on and off. It's hard. This is what I liken it to. If you've ever been a lifeguard and you go to a pool, you can't turn it off. You're constantly scanning the pool, looking for get kids that are potentially drowning. I cannot relax at a swimming pool because I was a lifeguard forever. I feel the same way when I go to Can my- Can you relax at your own swimming pool with yes. the carpet around the- Yeah, with, with, the, with the rug, the <laughs> clampets. Yes, I can. Because there's nobody okay. else. There's nobody else. You're not worried about that. There. Okay. But I'll go to my kids' basketball games and I'll see kids acting out and I so bad want to say stuff. And Mark just looks at me and rolls his eyes. <laughs> and so that's kind of my cue of like, calm down. You're, you're a mom right now. Um, it's hard to turn it off. It really is. It is. It's, it's, yeah. Well, it's, so I've only had the experiences where my kids have been in the same school with me. And so on the one hand, I look at it from their perspective, like, oh my gosh, I couldn't even imagine having one of my parents be the principal or be an administrator in school. But at the same time, it's also comforting because they always know that they can, they can come and find me. Mm -hmm. But I find it very difficult to turn it off at home. Mm -hmm. um, and it isn't until you know we engage in conversations at home where my wife says, you know, you're not my boss here. Right. Or the kid, my kids are like, dad, you're not my principal right now. You're right. my dad. It's like, oh. So yeah, it's, it's those mm -hmm. moments where you just have to kind of stop, realize, okay, yeah, it's all right to take this hat off a little bit. It but is. it's tough. It, it is tough. hard. I, it sounds, we talk about, we've talked about this before, but we each found spouses that are very good at letting us know what our roles are. <laughs> oh yeah, and they're not shy. No. They're not shy about no. telling us. No, definitely not. But it's good, I, I appreciate that and I think it really helps keep me balanced. And I tell Mark all the time, because he's never really seen me in this role. And so he assumes I act a certain way at work. I'm like, you have no idea, you know? And, and that's okay, it's probably a good thing but I really don't think he has any idea how I act in this role. Until he listens to this podcast. Until he listens like, to this podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna switch gears on you because this okay. is a topic that you and I have to discuss. Oh good, I Because we were talking wait. about it this morning. For those of you listening to this, I shared this with Sarah right when I had transition into this role and we got to talking about golf very early on because Gavin was working at a golf course and she was in a golf league and so I started talking about how I love playing golf and I let her know that one of my pet peeves is when I go out on a golf course and I see those golfers who are dressed up really really 
flamboyantly, I guess, or just like they extra. They, they, yeah, they're extra. They're trying to be, they're trying to be noticed. And the thing that bothers me the most is people who wear white belts, because when I see somebody wearing a white belt. I'm thinking they better be a really good golfer if you're going to be coming out sporting that type of thing. So we have dubbed this a white belt issue because she knows, Sarah knows that white belts drive me nuts. And so now I'm going to turn the tables on her and I'm going to ask her what her white belt issue is. So what is, it could be anything. What is your white belt issue? It just drives you nuts, grinds your gears like, oh, why, why? Well, I can't wait to talk about this, but first for everyone listening, I do have to say that Dr. Dostal, this was when your street cred just like, I was like, okay, I like this guy. I remember leaving that conversation and calling Mark and saying, this, this is gonna work. I love this guy. Um, so funny you say that. Personally, my white belt issue is, you know when you go to a grocery store or Target or wherever and they have a couple checkers open and you have these long lines and then they open up a new register and the people in the end of the line think all of a sudden that they get to rush to the new register and I'm always just like bro I've been here for 20 minutes don't you know how to merge into the open checker and I yeah and you know me well enough to know you can read my face very easily so I'm sure I'm rolling my face at these people of like, come on, I've been here much longer than you. You don't get to go to the open checker. Oh my gosh. So that's, that's my personal white belt. Wow. <laughs> and like now you're gonna drive everybody nuts now. That explains so much. Right? It does. I know. And honestly, the reason why I asked you this question is because <laughs> I think that everybody has a white belt issue. Oh yeah. They just don't want to acknowledge it. For <laughs> and sure. You know, as, as we were getting ready for this, I, I was waiting for this question. I wanted to ask you this question all day because I knew it was like, oh, we've got we've got to discuss this. What do you think? Now I'm really getting off script here. That's what great. do you think are the most common white belt issues for high school teachers? Oh, for high school teacher, that's a great question. I think if if they were to make a TikTok, and I'm thinking of like all the running things that a teacher would say, um, from a student perspective is, I was there, my backpack was in my bag. That's one that I remember as a teacher. Like, no, you weren't here. You can't put your bag down and then count that as being here. Um, and then I think a, a white belt issue for a lot of teachers would be just asking them to do more and more and more and more stuff of all the just the different initiatives. And I think it would be actually a really funny progression of things if you ask them of all the different initiatives that we yes and ones that really are there's no explanation for where they're right. going it's just yeah we're asking you so it's like busy work yes oh my gosh yeah don't you think i think well i do and i i mean i also think that uh and it's been interesting this year and our conversations with our teachers have been always provide the why don't we're not going to ask you to do something that we wouldn't be willing to do ourselves. And so I think that's the importance of, of giving the why. But when I start thinking of like white belt issues for me were so annoying. It was always the same kid who would walk in like three seconds after the bell rang mm -hmm. consistently. And I knew they were outside. Just, come on. Or the kid who would try to play off that they actually did the work 
and they were trying to BS me in the process. And it still is kind of a white belt issue for me because, and I, and I tell my wife this all the time, I don't think a lot of our students know the type of student that I was growing up in high school, that I probably did a lot of the things that you're doing mm -hmm. and came up with all of the excuses that I could to get out of trouble. And so I know what you're doing before you are even, like, again, we talk about this all the time. I'm going to ask you questions I already know the answers to. Right. So there's no point in trying to bluff me because I know what you're going to be bluffing on. So that's kind of a white belt issue for me is those, those kids who think that they can outsmart you with trying to maintain the story that, that isn't there. And I'm sure that most teachers would probably fill, fill, in the, fill the exact same way. I think so too. I think the biggest for all of us in education and maybe just everywhere is time. Is It's our most valued resource is our time. And so don't waste our time. Don't waste our time. Don't waste our time with meetings that you could have sent an email. Yeah. You know, don't waste my time with this. Start on time, end on time. And that's what I was going to say professionally for me is, is my time. It's the one thing that I value the most. And so when, when I feel as though people are not valuing my time, that's when I get fussy, right? And so I try my best then to value other people's time. Well, I was going to ask you, how, so how do you respect that value with the people that you work with, that you are supervising and that sort of, so how do you, how do you take that and practice it so that you are not doing to them what you want so much for yourself? Yeah, Lois taught me the best trick ever, which seems so simple, but I have about 9,000 alarms set on my phone. And so I, if I say I'm gonna meet with someone at nine o'clock, I'm gonna be there at 8.59 ready to go, and I'm gonna end, even if we're not done, I'm gonna end when I said we were gonna end, just to value that time. Because I, I mean, I was a teacher for 18 years, so I understand when you have an extra 20 minutes, you're gonna use that extra 20 minutes, and I don't want to take take that time away from whoever it is that I'm meeting with students included you know kids value their time right so I try to be conscious of that to okay. the best of my ability I'm sure I'm not perfect but I definitely try work in progress work in progress yeah all right so thankfully well at least you told me you did so I don't know if I don't know if you actually did or not but um, <laughs> I know you have a copy of my book but two of the very important steps in the Own Your Epic process are to curate and cultivate your story so you can amplify your voice. What is that one story that continually comes up to you that you find yourself telling others about you and your journey? Is there, is there one or two, those moments that you just feel like you have to convey to others to help them get to know who you are as a person, as an educator, that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, when I taught marketing too and leadership development and, and things like that, the one thing I always wanted students to know, and you kind of alluded to this too, is my experience growing up and in high school was, was not easy. Uh, my parents got divorced, we had no money. I, I think students and even other adults will sometimes look at me in particular um, and have judgments based on how they think my life might have gone. And that's natural, we all do that with everybody. Sure. but. Um, I especially liked to share that with my students of like, I get it, you know, I, I, I have 
a parent who is an alcoholic. I, I went through a divorced family life. I went through having to work to buy my own prom dress. I went through, and again, it's not a sob story by any means, but I think that being able to relate some of those stories to our students is really, really important because they see successful adults around them and don't know how you got from point A to point B. Um, and just kind of explaining that we all have trauma, we all go, we all have a process of growth, we all have. And then another thing too that I'm not ashamed of is I'll tell other adults that are struggling that I went to therapy and I wish I would have gone before I was 44. You know, and I'm not ashamed to say that because sometimes we need to have someone else help us process what what we went through as kids and young adults and things like that. So probably TMI, but that that's right now the story that I would would tell people to understand me more is, yeah, I, I'm 45 years old and still kind of dealing with things that I went through when I was the age of our kids now. And see, I don't think that is too much information. Honestly, I think that that is what I don't think a lot of practicing educators embrace enough of is being vulnerable enough to share their stories with their students to say, listen, because I mean, we we work with high school students on a daily basis. High school sucks. I mean, it's like yeah. a really difficult time. As much as we like to put on this facade that, yeah, everything is rosy and perfect and kids nowadays are looking at what they're seeing on social media. It's supposed to it's supposed to look this way. It doesn't look that way. Everybody's got that. And so being vulnerable enough to share those stories about, hey, listen, we got through this mm -hmm. and we can still be successful. I don't think there's enough of that because, and this is why this podcast is so important to me, is to one, let other people tell their stories, but then if that sparks them to maybe open up and be a little bit more vulnerable with the students that they teach, they might actually find more success with their kids because their mm -hmm. kids now know, oh, Michelle had some of the same background as mm -hmm. I did. Dr. Dostal had the same, some same background as I did. And look at where they're at. They may not become a dean of students or a high school teacher, a high school principal, whatever, but if they know that if they can get through that, then I might have a chance at this as well. And I think that's where we sometimes fall short in education. We're not willing to open up about that mm -hmm. or pick and choose the items that we want to, we want to talk about. So, yeah. wow. I, I agree. I, I don't know when that changed or flipped in my teaching, but I realized that like that was my teacher's superpower is being vulnerable in front of my kids. And I learned that by sharing stuff about me personally, and not everything, of course, obviously, there's boundaries right. when you're in education, but you know, just sharing those little nuggets, I'm like, wow, did that help with my classroom management? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't have to yell anymore because they see me as a human and they don't want to disappoint the human side of me. Yeah. And so that, it started to just become easier. And then I understood the power of relationships with kids and my, my, my teaching just got so much easier. I could focus on things I wanted to instead of seating charts and, you know. And see, that's interesting because I think you go into education thinking you've got, because you have all your pedagogy and sure. the methods and all that stuff. 
they really don't teach you that side because I can tell you exactly when it changed for me. I was yeah. teaching composition and literature at Miller West, so this was in the course guide. It actually said this is the course for non-college-bound seniors, the English course for non-college-bound oh. seniors, which that's a different story for, right. for another that's day. That's another podcast. But, um, first year teaching, and I still remember the young lady in the front row, her name's Lauren, and she raised her hand. She says, how old are you? <laughs> I said, I'm 22. And then she tapped into the person next, our teacher's as old as your boyfriend. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, okay, this is, this is real now. Like, yeah. what in the world? What am I going through? And it was at that moment, it was like, all right, you know, I've got to throw all of this stuff out here. If I'm going to relate to these kids, I've at least got to talk yeah. their language and speak their language. And fortunately at the time, I still had those relative shared experiences. Now at 45, trying to relate to an 18-year-old other than my own kids is really difficult. So how do you compensate for that? You got to get real with them and talk about your own experiences. So right. that's cool. It is. All right, so we're at... 28 minutes. Oh, that went way too fast. I know. It's, it's just a conversation. <laughs> so I want to ask you one follow-up or one more question. Um, it's just kind of the uh, the capstone to this because uh, education is tough. You know it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what role you have in education, it's tough. And we have a lot of people who are leaving the profession and not a lot of people who are coming back in. Um, and so I guess my question for you is, uh, for someone who's been in a school for now 20 years, 20 more, 20, 22, 23 years, 20, I think, I something think like that. There, yeah. We're getting up there. I we're forgot. There. And you've seen all these highs and lows from both a classroom perspective and administrative perspective. What advice do you have for educators who are listening to this podcast, whether they are just coming in or they're thinking about leaving? Like what's, what's the best advice that you can give them? Oh, that's so hard because I think I'd give different advice to each. Well, we got time. What, right. What's the advice? I mean, you know, new teachers coming into the profession, the, the advice I would give is figure out early how to maintain that work-life balance because you remember, I mean, all we did when you're a first-year teacher is, is, is think about school. And I think there's a part of that that, that needs to stay, but creating those boundaries so that you do have that time to take care of yourself in a profession that has a lot of secondary trauma. You know, <laughs> we bring a lot of stuff home. We're in it because we care. It becomes emotionally overbearing at, at times, but, but starting young and having that work-life balance, hopefully will keep more young people in the profession because we can keep them healthy and mentally healthy. Um, because it is so fun and it's so rewarding. And all, I mean, you know this, everything about education, I, I don't love everything, but what I do love is the kids. Right. And if we can keep the focus on that and not the background noise, hopefully we'll get more people to stay in the profession. And those thinking about leaving, you know, some it's time. For some people it is time because if the focus does become about other things, that, that aren't kids, then maybe it is time. If you don't have joy for the job anymore. Yeah, I mean, if you don't love kids anymore, yeah, it might probably, be yeah. it might be time. But for those maybe just seeking pay or seeking other things, my advice, you know, is it, the grass isn't always greener. And what is it about your what is it about this job that that is challenging? And then, you know, maybe working 
from that angle is do you need other roles and responsibilities within that job do you want to take on something that that brings you joy is the conversation we just had prior to this podcast um, is to really think long and hard because every single one of us in education has thought about leaving before it we just have yeah it's hard we could get paid more somewhere else but i always come back to what else would i do where i get to laugh every day and you know get to tell bad jokes to kids and think i'm funny and and those types of things. So the advice, I, you know, to people leaving is, is it is it really worth more money if you're not going to be as happy? Right. And maybe some people will be more happy or be happier. I guess you're the English teacher. Fix the yeah, grammar yeah. there. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's it's hard because it there is a mass exodus right now, and a lot of it is I think pay. It is, and that's. I mean, I get it because you you have to support your family. You have yeah. to you have to be able to do those things, and you have to be able to find enjoyment at what you do, and at least be compensated and know what your worth is. Um, and I, I think that we have reached that critical point where I don't think I, I thought we were going to have that during the pandemic when kids had to stay home and people were like, "Oh my gosh, now I know what teachers have." No, right? You you saw a small sample of that. Mm-hmm. That's every day of every year of a school teacher. And so, um, no, I think that's, I, th- I think that's a good point. That's a, it's a good way to, to end the conversation, uh, for today. And I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. I know that was really quick, but it was so good to be able to have this conversation. I learned a little bit more about you. We right? work together on a daily basis. I so, um, and I have come up in my mind right now that you and I are going to co-author a book called white belt issues in education. Sign me up. And you and I are going to start a Google Doc and we're just going to start writing our ideas down. I guarantee you it's going to be a number one bestseller. It's going to be fantastic. Sign me up. Well, Sarah, you're awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, Everybody, that is the end of this episode of the Own Your Epic podcast. Uh, Stay tuned for uh, more episodes. And as always, head on over to ownyourepic.blogspot.com. Check out other podcasts as well as blogs and uh, pick up the book. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.